You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Will you say, will you say this with me? Can we say this out loud together? Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Can we do that again? Come on now. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Today, the title of my message is Build a Bridge and Get Over It, Addressing the Streams of Offense in Our Lives. Can you turn to somebody and say, here we go, and then sit down? Buckle up, buttercup. Some of you get a little excited about that. Some of you like the tension. Well, Today I want to share with you what I believe is one of the issues in the church today and issues in the church, what I mean by the people of the church, is offense. How many have ever heard build a bridge and get over it? How many enjoyed when somebody said that to you? Raise your hand. It's never in a good time, right? Why don't you just build a bridge and get over that, Sandy? You know, I'm sorry that your Colts lost to my Eagles. I'm sorry. I had to go there, but the Eagles did win. Anyway, what did I say? Well, we beat the Colts too. Either way, it don't matter. Sorry, I know, you're not offended. I'm checking you. Sandy was texting me in the middle of the game, and I was like, I'm not going to text until it's done. What a tense game that was. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, top five indicators that you are offended. Are you ready to hear about them? Top five things. Number one, you're bitter. Okay, here we go. We're going in. Is that okay? Is that all right? Can we go in the deep end? Is that okay? Or is that, no, we're, okay. Number two, you're judgmental. Oh, man. Number three, you're negative. Number four, you're a wanderer. You never feel seem like you belong. You never find a place. And number five, top five indicators, you're offended. You're a human. <laughs> now, I had to put the last one there because many of you were like, well, that's not me. That's not me. That's my wife. That's not me. But now I got you now. <laughs> one of the biggest issues in the church today is offense. And I've been pastoring and, and I realize this is the biggest issue. And it's not just for you, it's for me, it's for all of us. The very first thing in the Bible we read in Genesis 3 is, is offense. Listen, the, the woman who you gave to be with me, remember this, Adam and Eve in the garden did things they shouldn't have done. It says, the woman you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Man, why would you do this to me? And then she goes, huh, what is it that you've done, God says. And she goes, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's an accusation and offense. You did this, and I have a right. You did this, and I had to eat the apple. I was hungry. I, you know, there was nothing else to eat out of all the trees. You had to pick that one. I'm offended. I'm angry. And if we don't clear this out of our heart, we will all be swept away in the streams of offense that lead to the waterfall of death and destruction. You ever been to, anybody been to Niagara Falls? Anybody been there? It's like the most epic falls. You, I mean, pictures can't contain it. You go there, it's just this epic sound. It's like white noise, just magnified. It's just and, and you go there and you see this thing. I remember we went there as a kid, and we got in that little boat. You get in a little boat, and you get close to it. You're like, ooh, I get wet, you know, that kind of stuff. But here's the deal. Niagara Falls is dangerous. I want to read this. In 18, since 1850, more than 5,000 people have gone over Niagara Falls, either intentionally as a stunt or suicide or accidentally. I don't know how that happens accidentally, but just stay away from it. The first recorded person to f survive going over the falls was a school teacher named Annie Edson Taylor, who in 1901 successfully completed the stunt inside an oak barrel. 
Who thought that was a good idea? Here, I'm going to get in this barrel. You're going to nail me in there. I'm going to go over the side. Anyway, she made it, interesting enough. In the following 122 years, thousands of people have been swept over the falls, but only 16 made it out alive. All instances of people going over the falls is over this one. This is the Horseshoe Falls part of Niagara Falls. Jesse Sharp, June 5th, 1990, a 20-year-old bachelor from Ocoee, Tennessee. You know, the Tennesseans, we can't be outdone. Well, I'm going to. Sharp went over the falls in a plastic kayak. He hoped to traverse the rapids below, eventually ending up four miles downstream in Lewiston. He was so confident that he parked his car at Art Park in Lewiston and made dinner rev reservations for that evening. After beginning the plunge, he quickly disappeared into the falls, and they only found his kayak, never found his body. Sharp decided not to wear a life jacket in case it impeded him getting trapped under the falls, and he refused to wear a helmet because he wanted to keep his face recognizable for the cameras. Now, many of you in this room are going, why would you do that? I mean, 16 people, over 5,000 went over, only 16 people made it alive. Might I say to you, God is saying the same thing in heaven. Why would you harbor offense when 100% of the time it leads to your demise? It's like if I told you, hey, listen, just hang out in the stream, go down there a little bit, and then eventually you'll go over a falls. You'll be like, heck to the no, I ain't going in that stream. But many of us, we fall into the stream of offense all the time. Give you a story in the Bible. David and his son Absalom. Some of you know the story. If you don't, 2 Samuel, you can read it. It's a great story. It's also a crazy story. So if you've come from a crazy family, welcome. I'm getting ready to tell you about another crazy story about a man of God. How many know that the Bible is interesting? Ed Trout says it. If you like sci-fi, it's there. If you like drama, it's there. If you like dysfunction, oh, buckle up. Here we go. Because David and Absalom is a crazy story. Absalom was King David's third son. Now, it says in Scripture that he was charming and he was handsome. In 2 Samuel 14, it says, Now in all of Israel, there was no one so much more to be praised for his handsome appearance than Absalom. That's pretty interesting. You know, Linda, imagine like you're put in the Bible and you're told that you're handsome. Chris, this is you. Like there's no one more handsomer than you in the Bible. It's better than being dim-eyed. That was, that was Leah. Anyway, we'll not talk about her. But here's the deal. For the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And then it goes on to talk about his hair. His hair was so luxurious. Cue Fabio. Anybody remember Fabio? Remember Fabio? Yeah, yeah. It was so luxurious that at the end of the year, he would cut his hair, and it weighed 200 shekels. Now, man, I, I wish I had some of that hair. That'd be nice. Anyway, Absalom was a good-looking man. That's foreshadowing, by the way. Hold on to the hair thing, by the way. Now, he had a sister named Tamar. Tamar was beautiful. And he had a half-brother, Ammon. Ammon was David's first son. Now, David married other women. That was part of the custom. We can't get into that right now. It was still crazy. But anyway, the point of all that was Ammon was the lead son. And Ammon was infatuated with his stepsister, Tamar. Scripture said he got sick over how beautiful she was. It's weird, right? It's getting weird. Buckle on. It's getting better. He got so sick because he was like, I got to be with her. He got so sick that he, he concocted a scenario that if he could pretend like he was sick, his dad would send Tamar. He said, I need Tamar to come in and make these biscuits. She made some biscuits. I don't know. I don't know. There must have been good biscuits. And he would send him in with some biscuits. And so he set it up. He pretended he was sick. He was in his bed. He had Tamar come in, and he raped her. 
Now, this is, this is a crazy story. But the interesting thing about it was, as much as he was infatuated with her, I got to have her, I got to have her. As soon as he had his way with her, he goes, get out of from here, I despise you. Now, you can think about what that must have been like for Tamar. She was a virgin, she was held in high esteem, and now everything she had hoped for was done. She said, why don't you just go to our dad? He'll, he'll work out something. We get married. Somehow this all could work out. Don't do this to me. She pleaded with him. But he had his way. He destroyed her life. Now here's the thing. Absalom, that's his sister. And so he becomes furious. He's like, there's no way he's getting away with this. He's wondering why all these people are allowing him to get away with this. So he waits two years. Talk about offense. Two years he waits on this devising a plan. I'm going to do something to Ammon. I'm going to end his life. So he invites all his family over for dinner. David says, I can't come. Look, i got enough concubines and people. It's too many people. Don't worry about me. Just bring your brothers over. All the brothers come over, okay? They come over, and Absalom devises a plan to destroy and kill his, his brother. He kills him, and all the other brothers flee. Word gets back to David. David, bad news for you. Your oldest son, he's dead. He was killed by your other son, and all your other sons are gone. We don't know if they're alive or dead. David begins weeping, devastated. His whole lineage. Can you imagine just that moment? Talk about drama. That's some real counseling stuff. You're going to have to really check in for something. That's next level. But here's the deal. All throughout Scripture, as much as David was hurting, he still loved his son. Absalom flees. He goes away for a time. He comes back. And David doesn't bring him back into the palace, but he allows him to live in Jerusalem. And this is where things turn, because I want you to know that offense has, it can wait in secret. Offense can, can lie dormant in your heart. It, it doesn't need to come out right away. Sometimes we don't even know we have it. But Absalom was so calculated and cunning that he, he comes back in to, to the city, and he positions himself at the gate, 2 Samuel 15. It says, after this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. So now he looks real official. Oh, there's, there's David's son. He's back in town. He's, he's running with these chariots and horses. Do, 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 Only a few of you will get that one. 50 men to run with before him. And Absalom used, he used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? When he said, he said, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right. Now pause for a moment. I want to share with you the significance of what he did. He positioned himself at the gate. The gate was where things would be judged. The king would stay there, the judge would stay there, and people would bring their disputes. So if we had an issue, you'd go to the gate, the king or the judges would be there, and they would, they would reside over the court, the case. And so Absalom positioned himself there. He took it on himself to be the judge and jury for people. And he did it in a way that made his king, his dad, look even worse. He said, see, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say this, oh, that I were to judge in the land, that every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. You, you, you sense the sarcasm there. He, he's beginning to build a case. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. 
Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. In verse 13 it says, the whole country had taken up with Absalom. Absalom starts a secret insurrection. What started as offense now becomes him taking over the whole kingdom from his father. We read in scripture, David flees the kingdom, his own kingdom. He leaves. His, his son took up so much offense and gravitated. How, how many know that when you're offended, you'll find other people that are offended as well? It wasn't easy. I mean, it was easy for him to be at the gate and, and figure like some people had an issue with David and he would be the guy there going, well, man, I wish I could help you. You know, my dad, he, he don't even come down here, but I'm here. No, none of you ever said that or ever acted like that. But offense can masquerade as truth and justice. It's interesting, David flees, just side note, David flees from the, from the kingdom. He flees to the Mount of Olives. And of course, that's where, David, where, where Jesus goes many years later to flee from and be also betrayed. Offense can masquerade as truth and justice. Things like this. No one else is doing it. They don't hear you. I hear you. I'm with you. If nobody else is with you, I'm with you. I got you. Absalom and his charm and his charisma ends up being his downfall. Later on in Scripture, we see he starts up an army. They fight against David's army. Of course, David always wins because David has the anointing. And they fight, and, da and Absalom's riding on his horse with his luxurious hair, and it gets caught in an oak tree. He hangs from an oak tree. David's men come, and they kill him, and he dies in the same way that he ruled. It was by his charm, his good looks, and what hangs him is his offense. It's interesting when we see this. David still mourns him. He doesn't celebrate the death of his son. He mourns him. David had every opportunity to swim in the stream of offense, but he constantly takes the bridge over it. So where can offense stream from in our own lives? I want to give you four main areas of offense. Incidentally, there's four great lakes that feed into the Niagara River, the Superior, the Michigan, the Huron, and the Erie, and they all empty into the fifth lake, which is Lake Ontario. Four areas where offense can stream from. Number one, it's your family. I just want to hear the tension in the room because some of you just got away from them, and it was tough. But offense can come from your family. That's why I'm teaching this after Thanksgiving and before Christmas. Because I believe the Lord wants to do something in your family. Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with what? A promise. That it may go well with you, that you may live long life in the land. What about my dysfunctional, abusive family? What about the things that I've been through? Pastor Mark, you don't understand. It's hard to honor my family. I believe there's a way to do it. And I'm not here to minimize what you went through, but I am here to tell you that when you hold on to a fence against a loved one, it doesn't hurt them, it hurts you. It doesn't rob them, it robs you. And I want you to live a long, healthy life. So if we hold on to a fence, it says that it will rob us of living a long, fruitful life. Forgiveness. And intimacy with God will help you to get over. It may take time. But let me say this. David had a ton of opportunities to be offended by his family. Let's talk about his brothers, for example. 
David just goes to deliver food to his brothers. They're in battle. Goliath comes out every day. He's ridiculing the people of Israel. And David just goes because his dad says, here, bring him some cheese and meat. And he goes and he does it. And what happens? They go, what are you doing here? David, go back to the sheep. Come on, buddy. Like, you're a little guy. You're not supposed to be here. Don't tell us how to do this. What does David do? Instead of responding in anger, he directs his attention to Goliath, and he say, how dare he say these about the armies of God? How dare he say this about the people of God? And he goes and he destroys Goliath. What could have nailed him, what could have destroyed him, actually changed his heart, and he went after what was really the issue at the time, which was Goliath. How about King Saul? King Saul was the king, and it was like a father figure to David. King Saul got so jealous. He was so offended by David. People were singing, King Saul's the best. There's nobody better than him. He was singing all these great songs. He got mad. He tried to kill David. David could have got offended. David fleed the scene. He was high, held up in a cave writing psalms. He's writing songs. All of a sudden, one day, he's singing a song, and all of a sudden, some dude comes in to take a squat and he looks over and he goes hey that's king saul he's going to the bathroom in the same cave i'm writing songs about okay let me let me destroy and you know what he doesn't destroy him look what it says in second and says in first samuel 24 the lord forbid that i should do this thing to my lord the lord's anointed to put out my hand against him seeing he is the lord's anointed even though the man tried to kill david he still respected the anointing that was on his life and david said i have no reason to be offended by you i will not hurt you and it went a long way to making him king over Jerusalem. Let me even keep going. How about Absalom? We talked about this. I mean, he could have been offended. He could have got rid of him. He mourned over him. He wept over him. He told his advisors, his chiefs, his army, don't hurt Absalom. And last but not least, David could have been offended by his own wife, Michael. 2 Samuel 6, verse 20, you can read this. David brings back the ark. The ark is back. It's back. Guess who's back? The ark's back. We got the presence of God. This is good times. David returns. Listen to this. He returns to bless his home. He's doing the right thing. He's like, I bless you, wife and wife and wife and wife and other wife and wife and all you kids and all you people over there. Are you part of my family? Okay, I bless you. Too. He's blessing his home. But his wife, Michael, says this. She comes out to greet David and she says, how the king of Israel honored him Himself today. That's sarcasm, by the way. It was back then, too. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants and his female servants as one of the vulgar fellow shameless uncovers himself. David is like, are you kidding me? David says to him, and says, listen, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father. By the way, her dad was King Saul and above his household to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I, King David, will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself more contemptible than this. And I will abase you in my eyes. I don't know if it was dancing that was wrong or what he was wearing or maybe it was all the thing. Maybe he had the Elaine going on from Seinfeld. He just was embarrassing. But he said, listen, I'll do that to the 10th degree, to the 100th degree. I am not offended by you. You may be offended by me, but God deserves my highest praise. And I will do even crazier things for him. See, I'm telling you, offense robs you of your freedom. Michael was so full of offense that she couldn't join in the worship of what was taking place at the moment. Your husband came home. He brought, the, he brought the presents back to Jerusalem. This is a big deal. Oh, by the way, I'm blessing my home. And the first thing she was like, don't embarrass me. Offense robs you of your freedom, not other people's freedom, of your freedom. David was free. He couldn't care less. I'll dance even crazier than this. Oh, and by the way, offense robs you of your future. 
Michael never had another kid and actually had no children because of when she cursed David and she cursed the things of the Lord, her offense robbed her of her future. Number two, places of offense is the church. Did you know that? Look around and say, thanks a lot. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Some of you are like, this is my time. I can finally get dealt with. How we deal with church folk speaks loudly to our dedication to the kingdom. Listen to me. 1 Corinthians 11. Paul is talking to the people of the church. They're doing all sorts of crazy things when it comes to communion and gathering together. And he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be fractions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Did you know that how you deal with people in the church actually is a demonstration of your walk with God? Like, seriously, think about this for a moment. How many of us, it's easier for just us to leave? I mean, we have so many great churches in this area. You could go down the street. You could go in the parking lot. You could find another pastor. You can go to Starbucks, have a church there. They're everywhere, and they're amazing. And that makes it so easy for us to justify our offense by going somewhere else. I know this is tough, but I'm going to have to need somebody, maybe my wife, to amen me. There you go. The point of it is, the point of it is, how you deal with offense here is actually a demonstration on your walk with God because you will be offended by somebody in this place. You will. You will. It's, you remember the iron sharpens iron scripture? How many loves quoting that one? Until you're the one being sharpened. Nobody likes to be the pencil when you're in a sharpener. The point is, we know this to be a fact. You will be offended in church. How you deal with offense will determine your maturity. The devil loves this. He plays on this. And offense leads to so many divisions in the church. There's people deconstructing because they were offended by the word. I don't like what the word says about gender. I don't like the word what he says about sex. I don't like the word about what it says about these things. And guess what? They start deconstructing the word. Well, I don't know if God really meant that. And, you know, and, and here's the deal. You're offended by truth, and the truth will set you free. Then there's people that have been offended by the Spirit. That's sensationalism. They say, there's no more gifts. There's no more prophecy. There's no more healing. It was only for a time. And listen, that's bogus. I've seen too many miracles to not believe. And here's the deal. I want you to know this, that that idea, most of the time, if not every time, has come from someone who's been hurt by the gifts. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you've been hurt by somebody who prophesied. It's true. I'm sorry if you've been hurt by these crazy people on TV. But Scripture talks about they're coming. They're here. You have to get used to it. You need a heightened sense of discernment. You need to realize it's not the church that hurts you. It's crazy, demonic people. Oh, that's a good word. Thank you. I'm encouraging myself. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you. Some of this stuff is gold. Now, don't you always hate when pastors say that? It's like that wasn't that good. Anyway, the point of it is, let me pose this question to you. Could it be that the people that are offending you at church were actually put there by God to enhance you or to challenge you? It, it doesn't get any better. I still got two more points. Just bear with me here. Why do I say that? Because David had someone named Nathan who was the church, a prophetic voice in his life. He came to him, told him this story. David got so fired up, and, and, and Nathan goes, that's you. He confronted him. How many know that many times we need somebody to say, stop doing that? 
Stop talking like that. Stop treating her like that. That's what the church is for. We're to be a band of brothers and sisters that come around. Do not let the enemy steal you from coming to church and being part of a community. Number three, number three is the world. Did you know the world offends you? <laughs> we have access to offense all day long. Twitter feeds, Instagram feeds. Uh, you pick your poison. How do you want to be offended and how many times do you want to be offended? It's easy. The president's offending us. The, the societies are offending us. Everybody's offending us. And here's the deal. Don't give the world a foothold. There are one million offense opportunities shot at you by the world on a daily basis. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means change the way you think. Stop stinking thinking. That by testing... By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let me say it another way. The world's thinking is designed to stop you from hearing God's word and discerning his kingdom. If someone says to me, I don't hear the voice of the Lord, I might ask you, who are you listening to? How are you being conformed? Where is your mind being transformed? It says, do not be conformed to this world. For some of you, you need to stop thinking like the world. The world's mindset is so minuscule, small-minded thinking compared to the kingdom. The world says, hoard money, store money. And God says, give away, give it away, give it away now. This is the deal. Some of, you, some of you should, yeah, you like that reference. You need to get rid of your, anyway, the point of it is, don't be conformed to the world's thinking. Do we have to go through another 2020 to realize this again? Church, please say no. We are called to think above the world, above the circumstances. We are called to be transformed. As soon as your mind begins to think with fear, transform it. As soon as you start to think things that don't sound like God, transform it. Put it under captivity. Say, Holy Spirit, take my mind. Make it yours. Offense affects your reasoning. How do I know? Because people say this, I have a reason to be offended. I have a reason to be angry. I have a reason to be upset. No, you don't. I, I don't know about this, but you're a living sacrifice. And everything that you have a reason to, you should be dead on the altar. Listen, I'm telling you, it's hard. Pastor Mark, this is hard, I know, but it's good for us. We need this. The world is not getting any better. If you think like maybe, maybe in November things will change. No, the world is wrong. It's always going to be against the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God prevails. It overcomes, and the people of God think differently. We don't have a reason to be upset. We, you know what we should? We have a reason to rejoice, to praise, to thank you, God, for life for hope, for forgiveness. David lived a life focused on pleasing God, not the world around him. He was quick to repent. Yeah, yeah, I know the Bathsheba thing. We always throw that in David. You know, it's like, David, you did a bad thing. Yeah, luckily none of our stuff is written in the Bible for everybody to read for eternity, you know. But David did a couple things. But the one thing I know, he repented. And God says he's a man after his own heart. Why? Because he would do everything he asked him to do. But I also may pose to you, it was not only that, but he was an intimate worshiper of God. And also, he kept his heart right. Even when he sinned, he, he, he repented. I'm sorry. He goes before the Lord. There's something about that because that leads me to number four, the place of offense, the stream of offense, and this is a big one. It's God. And many of us, we don't even realize this, but the root of our offense, it's not your aunt, 
It's not your dad. It's not your husband. It's not your girlfriend. It's not your ex-wife. It's God. You actually have an issue with God. Our life flows out of a relationship with our creator. Maybe this is the root of the overall root of your offense. It's like God. If you get to it, if you get to the middle of the onion, you go, oh my gosh, I have an issue with God. See, David could have blamed God for all the people in his life that did him wrong. He could have blamed and said, why did you give me these crazy brothers? They don't believe in me. Why did you give me, why did you put me under King Saul? What a horrible mentor he was. Why did you give me Michael as a wife? Man, she was a real trip. And then, and then well, how about Absalom? What a bad son. He killed my other son. This is not good. But David didn't. He checked his heart. And here's the good news. He worked out his offense with God, with God. How do I know that? Read Psalms. So here's, here, here's a newsflash for some of you. You can actually bring your issues to God. <laughs> like, he already knows your issues. He already knows what you're dealing with. So tell him. David did. We get to see all David's issues. David has a problem with God. He, I don't understand where you're at. Why aren't you doing this? Where are you at? Wait, don't you see me? We know this. But here's the good news. He brings him to God, and he gets his relationship with God worked on first. That's why God says, I can use you. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm so confident that David went into the... He went into the cave a kid, and he came out a king. There was some kind of refining that took place with God in the cave. Many of you, you go, if I can get up on that stage, God can use me. No, get in the cave with God and work out your issues with him. Listen to me. I hear me. Listen, God will never give you something that you can't deal with him one-on-one -on -one alone. James 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, we've all had that. If you have that in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now look at this. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now let me just say this to you. Notice the word wisdom there. It looks like wisdom. It looks and appears to be wise. It, it, this thing looks like it's reasonable, but it actually says it's demonic. When you hold offense towards someone, you are partnering with the demonic. Pastor Mark, that's a tough word. It's the truth. There is no offense in the kingdom. And so when we bring it into the kingdom with us, we are bringing a foreign entity. It's a demonic presence. Offended people always seem to have a reason to be offended. But if you're a living sacrifice, again, there is no reason. Lord, I give you my offense. I give you the issues. I give it to you. God, help me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And let me even talk to you about sneaky offense. How about sneaky offenses? They're all over the place. You know what they are? Those are the offenses that we project. This is the expectations I project on my wife. She doesn't even know that I put it on her. And she'll never amount to it. She'll never achieve it because she has no idea. We do this all the time. We do this with leaders. We do this with bosses. We do this with spouses. We do this with friends. We do this with family members. If they would do this, if they would do this, and guess what? They'll never do it. Why? Because they're not supposed to. You've put something on them that they were never supposed to carry, and now we're offended at them, and they don't even know it. And they're living their life. And then you get more angry because they're happy. <laughs> Son of a gun, man. That dude is still happy. Can't believe it. I know none of you have ever done this in your marriage, but sometimes you, you expect something from your wife, and she doesn't know it, and she doesn't do it. She's not even equipped to do it. But then all day long, I'm going, I can't believe she didn't do that. I can't believe. And all I had to do was realize I put something on her that she was never meant to carry. And now I'm carrying offense. And she's living her best life. 
son of a gun. I'll get her. None of you have ever done this. Ah, I can't believe she is so naive to my feelings. I have a reason to be upset. No, you don't. You don't, especially when you get married. Two become one. It's in your best interest that you get along. So deal with your offense. How do you do? Hey, I have this issue. Can we talk about it? Oh, wow, that's, that's revolutionary. Talking, communication. Wow. Let me text her. No, talk. I'll send an emoji of how I feel. No. Unbelievable. Offense is like AIDS. Remember AIDS? Remember when AIDS was a big epidemic? AIDS never killed anybody. Listen to me. AIDS destroyed the immune system. And so what it did was it broke down your immune system so then all these other viruses would come in and they would kill people. So here's the deal. I don't see anybody dying of offense, but I do see people definitely dying on the vine from bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, hostility, rage, suicide, murder. And you're wondering, where did it all start? As a seed of offense. That's why I'm sharing with you today. Because I want you to know there is hope. There is hope. You can build a bridge and get over it. Turn to somebody and say, build a bridge and get over it. Some of you are going to try to use that later when you get in a fight. Don't you blame me. Pastor Mark told me to tell you this. Not a good time to do that. Let me share another story with a few moments I have. Abraham and Isaac, Hagar and Ishmael. Woo! Are we not paying for this today? Can we talk about this for a moment? Genesis 16. Now, let me, let me pause for a moment. Some of you may not know the context here. Abram and Sarai were, were promised a son, that God would give them a generations, numerous, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. It, it's like, they're like, but we don't have any kids right now, and we're old. And so Sarah was like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not having a kid. So here, here, let me give you my my, my servant here, I have an Egyptian slave, and you can, you can have your way with her. Now, Abraham, you should have knew this was a trap. It's a trap. Don't do it. So he does. And Hagar, the servant, has a son named Ishmael. Now, in verse 4 of chapter 16, it says, When she, Sarah, knew that Hagar was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. There's a fence. And Sarah said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Hold on a second. How do we get here? I put my sleeve in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. There's all sorts of offense going on here. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram says, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think is best. And Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Now, it gets worse. Chapter 21. The child Isaac grew and he was weaned. And on that day, Isaac was weaned. Abram held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking. So here is, here is Ishmael. He's mocking Isaac. He's like, hey, it took you long enough to get weaned. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and he, says, he says, Abraham said, and she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And this is a major seed of offense in history and has historical consequences. The offended people that came from this lineage are still doing things today. Listen what Ishmael 
became. Ishmael would birth forth a numerous nation. This nation would be in contention with God's nation for the rest of history. He would be like a wild donkey of a man. He would live in hostility towards his other brothers. This is the main figure in the Quran and the main ingredient of the Islamic religion. Today, we're seeing an Islamic generation coming out of this, this, this hurt, this offense. See, offense is generational. That's why people don't get it dealt with. It will be in your line. You need to deal with it so that it doesn't have to be dealt with by your kids. And you think I'm lying. Just look at how one person in your family can be hated by everybody else. It's like a cancer. It's addictive. It stays. It lingers. And today, the Ishmael generation is warring against the Isaac generation. That's what's happening in Israel. We have Hamas who's fighting against Israel. And this whole tension, all this war has been going on. And it started right here, the offense. If Sarah would have only waited on the Lord. How many know many times we blame God for something we were supposed to wait on? We took it in our own hands. I'll take care of this, God. And then it happens and it backfires and everything goes to hell and now I'm like God it's your fault and God's like I didn't I didn't tell you to do that I didn't tell you to sleep with her I didn't tell you to try to act like God I told you you'd have a son and he would come from Sarah and you he would be a man with many generations and here you are trying to be me many times the reason why we're offended at God is because we tried to be him The best way to live unoffended is to never step into the stream to begin with. So today, this is why I'm preaching this, and this is why it's tense in the room, is because I want to create a warning light on your life. I want you to begin to know when you're offended. I want you to begin to see it, because you absolutely have an opportunity to build a bridge and get over it. I'm telling you right now, it's in your best interest to live unoffended. You will experience more of God's glory when you're not offended. Offense robs you of really being in the holy place with the Lord. I'm telling you, how do I know that? Because I've watched offended people come into a service. I've watched myself. And when I'm offended and angry, all I can think about is myself and that person. Son of a gun. And God's glory, all these people are worshiping. Must be nice. Everybody's having an encounter with God. No, you need to lay down your offense. Your offense is robbing you. It's robbing you. Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger. The word anger, it's, listen, this means good sense. It says, having developed an insightful perspective that resulted in being quick and not being quick to respond in anger. Wow. See, I could be offended right now. But it sounded like Christmas, and who wants to be offended at Christmas? Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it's in his glory. Look at this, the glory. It br this means it brings out the glowing colors of virtue, which in practice may look drab, boring, or uninsertive. What it says is when you overlook an offense, you look boring and uninsertive to other people. How many know that's true? Bro, you should be angry. Bro, if I were you, man, you just give me a call. I'm ready, man. I'll be over there. You, you could have a posse assembled in no time. And what God says is that a good sense actually says, nah, I'm good. Bro, you're going to let that happen? I'm going to overlook it. You actually, listen to this, overlook. W. McCain says this, the virtue which is indicated here in overlooking is more than a forgiving temper. It includes also the ability to shrug off insults and the absence of brooding hypersensitivity. 
Some of you, you're a little hypersensitivity. It contains elements of toughness and self-discipline. It is the capacity, listen to this, to stifle a hot emotional reply and to sleep on an insult. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not there yet, but I want to be. I want to be able to sleep on an insult. I want to be able to be so in tune with God that someone could write about me on, on Facebook. They could send me a letter, old school letter insult. They could do whatever they want. And all I do is say, God, I know who I am in you. And I can have a good night's sleep because I trust you, not what they say about me. How many want to be there today? How many want to walk like that today where you're not offended anymore, that people can't hurt you? Because you know, if the enemy can't offend you, woo, you can live victorious. Come on now. Let me say this to you today. As we gain spiritual insight and maturity, we can effectively ignore and overlook legit offenses which cause others to find us boring and unassertive. In God's kingdom perspective, we are actually strong and self-disciplined when we are able to live in a direct opposition to the majority of current culture's offended badge of honor. We live in an offended nation right now. And everybody is thriving off offense. It is driving our political system. It drives our culture. It drives the children. It drives the adults. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It is driving people. And I'm telling you, church, today, we will live above offense. God wants to do with us. What God wants to do with us will require us to address what is in us. Three things as I land this plane today. I hope you receive this word today. I, I've been living in this too. I, you know, let, let me just say this. Being in ministry, offense is like shot at you all the time. The enemy wants to take people out all the time with offense. And sometimes, you know, like you, you, do, you do stupid things and, you know, like, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And, but sometimes, like, it's unwarranted. You, you just don't know where it came from. All of a sudden, people are saying these things about you. But here's the deal. We have an opportunity to live above it. And my hope is that every day we wake up and we say, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. And God, today, I want to live above offense. I'm not going to let anything stop me from my relationship with you and with others. And for some of you, it needs to start in the home with your family. For some of you, it needs to start in the church. Maybe, maybe you've been running from church. Maybe, maybe you have issues with people in here. For some of you, it may be the world. Like everything they do, it just offends you, and you need to let that go. And for some of you, it starts with God. But how do we build a bridge? I want to show you a bridge. Simple, three parts. Make it really, really simple for you. Number one, you got to acknowledge that you have an issue. Like don't pretend, because some of you in this room, you're still like, I'm not offended. It's ridiculous. Like you're literally sitting here in your offense. I'm not offended. Yes, you are. You have an opportunity. You will have an opportunity today. You go to a restaurant, food comes back cold, wasn't what you wanted, you're offended. You have an opportunity. Don't buy the bait. Don't bite the bait. Just acknowledge. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in a place right now where I'm dealing with offense. It's okay. David made a whole book about it. 
Acknowledge it. The next one is forgive. Let it go. And this may take you a while. And this, you may have to live there for a little bit. It may take you a while to truly forgive. But don't stop. Don't stop. Lord, help me to forgive. Help me to forgive my ex. Help me to forgive my dad. Help me to forgive my wife. Help me to forgive my brother. Whatever it is, just Lord, I'm, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive. And listen, the more you do it, eventually something will click. And one day you'll get to a place, this is where we all want to be, where we can overlook offense. Now when you're sitting at the dinner table at Christmas time and you're with people and they made these rude comments and normally that would rile you up, now you just, no big deal. Like water off a duck's back. It's, it's not going to hurt me. Why? Because you live in a place where you live above, above the issues, above the noise, above the confusion, above the offense. I'm telling you today, if the church can get this, we can see the glory of God in a whole nother level. I'm tired of praying for revival when we can't even revive our hearts. I don't want to hear God come and do something, set me afire. Get out of here. If you really want to be on fire, everything in you is going to burn up. So don't sing a song you don't believe. But if you do believe it, let's go. Let's go. Church, let's go. God is coming. He wants to be with his people. And the first thing he wants to do is, people, are you willing to have these tough conversations and get our hearts right? Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.